I would like to read with you again, please, in Colossians 1, the first chapter of the epistle of Paul to the Colossians. <clears throat> we'll break in to begin to read at verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And this is the expression I'm reading this passage for, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, firstborn of all creation. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Would you look with me now in chapter 2 and verse 10, just this verse. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And I meant to really verse 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in a body. Now chapter 3. <clears throat> chapter 3. Begin at verse 8. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Line up one to another. And this is the reason for reading. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in him or in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. Now notice three words. I'd like you to pay attention to them. But here are the three words. Christ is all. Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. <clears throat> if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God or the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. I thank God that he is guided by his spirit in the ministry this afternoon and as well yesterday. I want to speak to you uh, about the fact that Christ is before all things. That's what we read in verse 15 of chapter 1. That Christ is above all things. That's verse 18 of chapter 1. That Christ is in all believers. That is verse 27 of chapter 1, which we did not read. We read chapter 2 and verse 10, Christ is the head of all things. 
What I really have in mind is what we have read in chapter 3. And I'm going to give you Mr. Darby's translation of these three words, Christ is all. Mr. Darby translates it, Christ is everything. Christ is everything. I think that you understand that Christ is actually the image of the invisible God. Now, please don't think that uh, it means just that he became visible on earth. Because Christ did not become the image of God. Christ has always been the perfect expression of all that God is. You see, the image, it means likeness. I think you would know that. It means representation. You would know that. It means illustration, but it means more. It means that looking at the Lord Jesus, I can see all that God is. That's the image. All that God is. But of course, this has a very practical meaning in chapter 3 because... uh, We are to be made to be renewed, actually, in the image of the one who created us in the image of Christ. There are four epistles that are linked together in our New Testament that we read very frequently. Galatians is actually the law of Christ. Bury one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ is the language of Galatians section 2. Ephesians is the love of Christ. Walk in love even as Christ also loved us. Philippians is the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Colossians is the character of Christ. Created in His image. This follows along with what you've heard this afternoon. Our brother Peterson was telling us about the vessel that was formed by the mind of the potter but there was a fault in the clay. And then he made it again, another vessel. It seemed good to the potter to make it. Well, I am going to try to speak to you about the work of being seen as a new creature in the image of Christ. I know that uh, the purpose of God is that we should all be like His Son. You say, well, where where do you find that in the Bible? Well, very clearly, we are told whom he did for no. I'm quoting Romans 8 and 29 now. Whom he did for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. What is God's will for you? What is God's will for me? That I should be just like the Lord Jesus in moral beauty. Will I be? Yes. Yes, I will be. But what about now? Is that not a work that is going on as you've just heard? God is actually producing in us the image of His Son. I said this morning, when I was speaking in the morning meeting, I said I'm a little ashamed to say that I love the Lord Jesus. And you might well wonder what I meant by that. What I'm ashamed of is He loves me so much and I love Him so little. That's what I'm ashamed of. So I want to speak to you, first of all, there are five features of the character of Christ that are found in Colossians 3. And I want to speak to you, first of all, about the love of his heart. The love of his heart. Oh, what a tender heart. Full of compassion, kindness, 
humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing. That's the heart of Christ. And what a, what a blessing it is to look upon Him and see the love of His heart. But what a greater blessing is to experience it. You know, I don't think there's a believer that is in this room today that doesn't feel most unworthy of such matchless love. But that love has reached us and won our hearts. Oh, dear believer, this is not just some kind of a formal thing. This is heart business. He has a heart of infinite love. And well might I love Him because He first loved me. I want you to think of the beauty of His life. And maybe I'll concentrate a little bit on this subject because it has been much in my heart and mind. The love of His heart, like Him, the love of His heart. And if I'm going to be like Him, I will love others as He loved me. I will love God's people. I will love God's truth. I will love God's assembly. I will love the souls of men and women around me if I have a heart like His. But I would love to think that the beauty of the Lord Jesus could be seen in me. What about that beauty? What, what is that beauty like? Well, I've been thinking about this and I'll just tell you what I've enjoyed. It's impossible in our little minds for us to properly connect holiness and beauty. Those seem to be to us such a vast distance from each other. How can you ever put them together? God has put them together. God has put them together in the person of our Lord Jesus. And to look upon Him, He is the perfect display of holiness and beauty in a blessed man. So, when I think of the beauty of Christ, I, there are four very beautiful things in the Old Testament that you know about. And I've, I've often mentioned them, but the bull in the cloud, you remember? Uh, after the flood? Remember the bull that was put in the cloud? What does that bull speak of? It speaks of the beauty of the sufferings of Christ. The bull was seen in the Stormy clouds. And the Savior on Calvary endured the storm of divine wrath and judgment. Never was He a greater delight to the Father's heart. So the bow in the cloud is the beauty of His sufferings. The coat of many colors that Joseph wore is the beauty of His sonship. The veil of blue in the tabernacle and temple is the beauty of His manhood. The breastplate is the beauty of his offices. Now, what is the meaning of blue? This is very interesting for young Christians, but uh, what does blue mean? It means heavenly character. What does purple mean? It means royal majesty. What does scarlet mean? It means infinite sufferings. What does the fine twine linen mean? It means the moral perfections of his life. Oh, if only the beauty of the Lord Jesus could be seen in us. I have, uh, I have gone over this in the Scriptures and I have spoken on this a few times maybe, but uh, I want you to think of His beauty in the assembly. Where's His beauty in the assembly? 
Remember the words of Psalm 27? One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To behold the beauty of the Lord. I believe that His beauty in the assembly is just this. That we believe what God has revealed about that blessed one. And from the depth of our being, we want to honor Him, to bring glory to Him, to worship God because of Him. And that's what we were doing this morning, and it's one of the greatest privileges we could ever have. You know why it's so wonderful? Because that's what we're saved for. And that's what we're going to do for eternity, to worship Him. Think of His beauty in the sanctuary. If His beauty in the assembly is the truth about His person, then His beauty in the sanctuary is the truth about His praise. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. What a privilege to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and know that His beauty in the sanctuary What about His beauty in the saints? (laughs) This is the truth about our practice. If His beauty in the assembly is His person, and the beauty in the sanctuary is His praise, then His beauty in the saints is our practice. And the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. That's the prayer of Psalm 90. That the beauty of the Lord our God may be upon us. Think of His beauty as our surety. This is a a wonderful text, Isaiah 33. We're going to see Him and the promise is going to be fulfilled. It is absolutely assured. It is absolutely without fail. Thine eyes shall see the King in His beauty. Oh, I'm waiting for it. I long for it. I remember that first night when my heart was won to that Savior who died on the cross for my sins. I had tried so hard to believe in Christ. But when I understood that He suffered there on the tree in my stead, in my place, I couldn't help but trust Him. And as I walked home that night for the first time in my life, I realized I love Him. He first loved me. So, we need to have this character portrayed in us. We need, as we have read in Colossians chapter 3, that we actually may be renewed. These are wonderful words. Renewed in knowledge. Here it is. After the image of Him. After the image of Him. We are actually given in this epistle what Christ is in Himself. We are told what Christ is to creation. We are told what Christ is in the universe, actually, forever and ever. But very practically, we are exhorted what Christ should be in us. Is the beauty of the Lord Jesus seen in me? How would it be seen? Well, this is what I have in mind to speak about. Not only the love of His heart, the beauty of His life, the peace of His reign in our hearts, the authority of His Word, and the glory of His name. Those are the five features of Christ that are seen in Colossians 3. But how are they going to be seen in me? Well, there are actually seven descriptions of the new man 
given to us in Colossians 3. Seven descriptions of the new man. First of all, in verse 10, we have the creator of the new man. Isn't that a solemn expression that we should not uh, put on the old man with his deeds? Isn't that tragic? The old man with his deeds. Now, dear young Christian, let me tell you something very simply. You are not an old man and a new man. That's a mistake. The old man is what you were before you got to the cross. The new man is what God has made you. And that new man is created in the image of the Lord Jesus. But oh, oh how we need, how we need to allow him, as you've heard this afternoon, to form us, to shape us. You know what the Word of God is? It's not only a guide. It's not only our correction when we are wrong. It is the mold into which we are cast. So the Word of God actually is a mold. That's what Romans 6 says so very clearly. And that's what Colossians 3 is saying. That God has in His mind His own Son. That's where God's delight is. That's where God's pleasure is in the Lord Jesus. And if that is seen in me, then God will see His Son in me. And that's what it's going to be forever. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says that we will be the display of Christ. That actually the beauties and glories of the Lord Jesus will be seen in us. I, I would to God it was more seen in me now. It is the purpose of God that it will be essentially fully displayed in His people. But we have the great privilege of allowing that to be displayed in us now. To let the Creator form in us likeness to Himself. The character of the new man. Notice what the character of the new man is. This is very practical. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Do we really do that? Is it possible for me to forgive someone who has wronged me, even as Christ has forgiven me? That's the standard. There should never be a quarrel that continues among God's people. I have always had a very strong feeling about this, that uh, I should never go to bed with anger in my mind or heart. It should always be settled before and put away and judged and confessed. And if I had this... It's amazing to me, you know... Christ is God's elect. We are described here as His elect. Christ is God's beloved. In fact, He is, until Romans chapter 1 was written, the only one that the word beloved applied to is the person of the Son. But in the grace of our God, we are the beloved of God. Christ, of course, 
very clearly as the Holy One. Isn't it interesting then that we are called upon to be holy? So we are to be like Him. And I don't know any believer that would stand up and say, I don't need to be more like Him. <laughs> there isn't one here like that, is there? Every single one of us long to be more. It's impossible to know Him and not long to be like Him. I've known people I didn't want to be like at all. But it's impossible to know the Lord Jesus. I, w I was thinking today of, of the fact that Mary Magdalene said, I have seen the Lord. I believe that many of us could say this about this weekend. I have seen the Lord and He has spoken unto me. That's what Mary said. Of course, the disciples, they said, we have seen the Lord. But I was thinking of, of Paul's words, have not I seen Christ? And he is proving to us that he has seen him. Look at him. How do you do that? Here, here are young Christians. How do you look at the Lord Jesus? How do you see him? Where do you see him is a better question. Where? In his word. I hope you read the Gospels. I hope you read them again and again and again. Because in them, the moral beauties, the perfections of the Lord Jesus are seen. And it's impossible to look at Him and see Him and not find in yourself a longing to be more like Him. So, very clearly then, we are not only created by Him, we are to be in character like Him. And verse 12, 13 tells us that we're to have compassion as Christ had compassion. I wonder if we do. I wonder, do we display that? Do we show the tender compassion of the Lord Jesus to others? The close, verse 14. You know, preachers do a lot of alliteration and... Uh, you get older, you do more of it because your mind is failing. Memory. So it helps me a little bit to, to put the same letter on the words and I'm looking at the creator, the character, the compassion, and the clothes of the new man. Now, I don't usually think of clothes as merely being an outward display. Oh, but there must be seen in us the clothes of righteousness. There must be seen in us that outward expression of what Christ has done in us. It is displayed outwardly to those around us. And then there is the calm of the new man in verse 15. Let the peace... In our English Bible it says, let the peace of God, but it is truly the peace of Christ. What peace? The peace He purchased by His suffering, by His death, His resurrection. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Wonderful thing to have that. Because this world doesn't have it. And we have something the world is missing. We actually have the peace of Christ reigning in our hearts. And our correction in verse 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I think you know what that means, don't you? Do you know what the word dwell means? It doesn't just mean to, to live there. Take residence there, maybe. But it means actually the possession 
of our hearts belongs to the Lord Himself. Let the Word of Christ rule. Let the Word of Christ, how powerful that is, let the Word of Christ be at home in you richly. There's nothing like it. I, I, I think we need to say this because this is very down-to-earth and simple and practical, but uh, lots of young Christians have come and said, uh, how, how do you uh, get over doubts? How do you have greater faith? Uh, how do you learn to trust the Lord in every circumstance, in, in every trial, in, in every experience of life? How do you learn that? How does it come about? Well, as was said yesterday, faith comes to us from God. How? By hearing His Word. That's vital. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. That when we read the Word of God, understanding it is God's Word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Do you feel your faith is fragile and weak and, and under the attacks of Satan? Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. And he's still telling lies. What a tragedy in our land that this whole thing about the not only the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Philip, but the Gospel of Judas, if you please. And the news media that is one of the most liberal organizations in all the world, I mean the news media of this English-speaking world, that news media made out that this was a whole new thing. I heard about those spurious Gospels when I was first saved, and I've been saved for nearly 70 years. Not new at all. It's ancient. The devil's so busy. He dumps all this kind of thing on this poor world as if it's not godless enough. When we used to knock on doors years ago, it was seldom that we found a person who was a rank unbeliever who wouldn't even accept the fact that God is and that the Bible is His Word. It wasn't too often we came across someone like that. Try it today. Satan has been doing a great job in this world. And we as believers, we need to have our faith confirmed. We need to get back to the Word and let it speak in all its power and authority to us. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I would say that uh, the glory of His name should always be our greatest motive. You notice what we read? Uh, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. What a name. The very mention of that name delights the heart of God. And His name sheds its fragrance upon us. And the greatest motive we can have is what we do, what we say, how we live for His glory. Our homes, our life before the world, 
our assembly, the activities, the work of the assembly. What's the purpose of it all? His glory. The glory of His blessed name. And if I'm allowing the word of Christ to dwell in me richly, then that will be foremost in my heart. The word at home in my heart. The restraining power of His name in my life. There's no power that so fully restrains as the knowledge that His Word is to control me and His glory is to motivate me and nothing else. I don't think I finished my subject on the, on the eight things that are found in this chapter or the seven things that are found here. Because at the close of these verses, verse 17, you have the consecration of our lives. Whatsoever you do, whatsoever. Oh, how wide that is. How large that is. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you can't do it in His name, don't do it. It can't be done in His name. It's wrong. And here is the blessedness of being able to move and work and act in His name. He's gone. We're here. We're His representatives here. We are actually to show Christ to others. Not just by words, but by the very clothes of righteousness that we wear. By the very character that we display by the fact that He is our Lord and we acknowledge His absolute authority. Thank God for it. Christ is before all things. Christ is above all things. Christ is in all believers. Christ is the head of all things. Christ is everything. What is Christ to me? I'm asking myself that question seriously. What is Christ to me? Is Christ my all? Or does He just have some part of my affections? Some part of my life? Is Christ my all? Oh, that we might display truly that Christ is everything.